If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, uh, you're going to want them open. Uh, we've got quite a number of passages of Scripture I'm going to be referring to, and we're just going to make our way through uh, what I feel God's got for us today. Um, as Dave said, Christ the King Sunday, a day which has been uh, set aside uh, to focus on Christ's reign, his character as king. Uh, a day for many churches across the world to, to gather and, and have this focus from differing backgrounds, different denominations, acknowledging who Jesus is. Okay? Um, that makes me a little bit sad that people feel that there needs to be a day in which we focus on this. It should be what we do all the time, every day, in everything. Um, but we have this day. We have this day and kind of, it's a focus of really Christ's cosmic control. Okay, everything, not just the earth, but the universe. Everything in creation is under his reign. And um, it's a recent addition to the church calendar, really. Uh, I'll give you a little bit of history. Um, 1925, okay? Pope Pius XI instituted it as a feast in the Roman Rite of the Catholic Church. And originally it was due to be celebrated on the last Sunday in October. Now, for anyone who kind of can call off their church calendar, they know the year, then they'll know that that is the Sunday before All Saints. Okay? Always would fall then. And some churches still kind of have that as their tradition within a kind of a mini season within a season called Kingdom Tide. Okay? But in uh, 1969, um, Pope Paul VI moved the feast to be the last day of the liturgical year. Okay? And since then, lots of other denominations outside the Catholic Church, uh, lots of other uh, non-denominational churches have taken it on board. It's become part of the, the revised common lectionary, the, the kind of standard for the church year. And it's that last Sunday of the year before we look to Advent. Okay? Celebrating Christ as king, it's something that we should always do. Always look to do. But we've got this special day. This special day, it's the theme for today. It's not a bad place to focus, really, is it? So the ideas behind the institution of this feast in the Catholic Church and how other churches have picked it up and, and thought, yeah, that's, this is a pretty good idea. We'll, we'll go with this. Um, gives you a short history. And how Reformed churches and Lutheran churches have taken on this ideal that started in uh, the, the Roman rite of the Catholic Church but has so much goodness in it that we can't help but jump on board. Other churches, uh, the Anglican Church, the Presbyterian Church, they, they tend to follow 
that earlier mentioned uh, format, uh, as opposed to today being the day that they would usually uh, come and celebrate Christ as king. So, following the church year, next Sunday, we begin Advent. Okay, um, so today really is a transitional Sunday. As we leave what I call ordinary time, what many of you, if you follow <laughs> the church calendar, would known as the season after Pentecost. Um, sort of, if you'll see lots of green in churches, that's the kind of season that you're looking at. And right now, we're just about to move into Advent. So this is a transitional week, a time when we get to concentrate, where we get to really move our minds and come back to Jesus as Lord. Okay? Some of you might be running ahead of time and thinking Christmas already, but we haven't even started Advent yet. So this is a kind of a reframe of the importance. Uh, some words uh, theologians would use would be uh, talking about a reminder of the end times, the eschatological uh, times. Um, and right now, that's a kind of the reminder. Before we hit Advent and we look toward Christmas and look for celebrating the coming of Jesus as a baby born in Bethlehem, well, we've got that other aspect of Advent where we're preparing for his second coming. And we can't prepare for his second coming unless we put him in his rightful place. And his rightful place is that of, as we just sang, King of Kings. So before we hit Advent, before we hit Christmas, before we start that new church cycle, we're reminding ourselves and positioning ourselves at his feet as he sits on his throne. Over the next few weeks, as we go through Advent, we're going to be looking at uh, watchwords of Advent. So I've picked four different words, um, and we're going to go through those through the Advent season. Words which are common in, uh, in liturgical prayer through the Advent season. Words which are common that we would think about, such as preparation, being glad. Okay? We're going to come into those, and we're going to really dig in. And you'll hear me say quite a lot, I expect, that, okay, Christmas is important, but Easter is essential. It's good to remember that Jesus came to earth, that he was born as a babe in Bethlehem. Yes, it is. But that was the start of the redemptive um, action of God as Jesus became man on earth and that whole redemptive process was put into place see christ as king christ as as lord central themes throughout the new testament okay throughout the new testament but also foreseen throughout the old testament and we're just going to dig into some passage of scripture that that help us see that and then we're going to say well what does that mean for us today how did we see this being lived out in in jesus's life and how can we really see it living out in our lives right now? Uh, to start, I'm going to go to Daniel chapter 7, for anyone who wants to turn there with me. Verse uh, 
13, I'm just going to read. I saw one like a human being coming with the clouds of heaven, and he came to the ancient one and was presented before him. I want to unpack that one verse a little bit. One who is like a human being. Okay? That's God taking on the form of man. He is like a human being, but he isn't fully like us. Okay, and Daniel has seen this. Other translations, the one you've got open, might even say one like the Son of Man. Okay, and the Son of Man, well, that's a, that's a phrase Jesus used to refer to himself on many occasions. Yeah, one that comes to mind straight away is Matthew 20, uh, 26, 64, which was when I was a little bit younger, was my email address. Matthew 2664 at, it doesn't exist anymore, or it's not attached to me, so if you email it, then I don't know what will happen. But the fact that Daniel has, has seen this, okay, but not only has he seen that it is someone like a human being, or it is like the Son of Man, he goes on to say he was coming on the clouds of heaven. That's really vital because, well, Matthew 26, 64 is kind of really connected with this passage of Scripture from Daniel, and it mentions the clouds. But throughout Scripture, we see majesty and awe of God in the cloud. Uh, we read about it in his, uh, his presence going before the Israelites in the pillar of a cloud as they made their way through the wilderness, Exodus chapter 13. We see God's glory appearing in a cloud as, as I think Aaron is talking to the Israelites in Exodus 16. And then at the giving of the law on, the Mount, of si- on Mount Sinai, again, God is in a cloud in Exodus 19. See, bringing that idea of the cloud then into the New Testament, and do we see, well, do we see the same thing? Do we see awe? Do we see majesty coming in the form of a cloud? Well, we do. And the primary example I could think of is that of the transfiguration. Got Peter, James, and John going up the mountain with Jesus. Yeah? And God appears in a cloud and says, This is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. Listen to him. And that leads us then into the next verse of Daniel 7 there, verse 14 which goes on to say, To him was given dominion and glory and kingship, that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away, and his kingship is one that shall never be destroyed. Isaiah spoke of the coming of the Messiah as well. You know, Daniel's seen these things, but Isaiah spoke into them as well. And if you jump to Isaiah uh, chapter 42, or if I need to say it like most of you would, Isaiah 42. um, You'll see at the start there, it reads, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice 
to the nations. The dominion we read of in Daniel, and which is then shown through the Spirit of God being placed on Jesus, resting on him, bringing forth justice. We're talking about the reign of Christ. We're talking about the reign of Christ, okay? The Spirit descended on Jesus at his baptism, did it not? And we heard those same words that we just read. Yeah? When we looked at the transfiguration, those same words, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Okay? The Spirit's resting on Jesus, foreseen by Daniel, foreseen by Isaiah. And we hold all of this in the mind, in the fact that the Son of Man is fully God. Then we remained, we're reminded of his kingship. We're reminded of his reign. And a great place to go to, to see any of this is in Psalm 93. And that starts, the Lord is king. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He is girded with strength. He has established the world. It shall never be, be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. A reminder that God created the world right there. A reminder that he has always reigned since before the world was even created. And that he still reigns today. Now remember, beginning of Genesis. Okay, God said, let us create man in our image. Okay? Enforcing that God is Trinitarian, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, creating us in their image. The Father's there. The Spirit is hovering over the waters, we're told. And Paul tells us in Colossians, in verse 1, that Jesus was there too. He says he has rescued us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. God has rescued us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, Jesus in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in the heavens and the earth. Okay? By him, all things were created. Jesus was not only at creation. He was not only watching them do it. He was fully involved in creation. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, working together from the outset. Everlasting, because they were there before creation. He wasn't just present. He was involved. And to really emphasize the importance of, of how the Old Testament points to Christ's kingdom, I ask you to turn with me to Jeremiah 23. Okay, in verses 5 and 6, 
The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and so execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. It all points to Jesus. It all points to his kingdom, to the kingdom of heaven. And I've said many times, oh, I've been here for nearly two years now, and at least once a month, I say, I say this to you all. So hopefully you're starting to get it. Wherever you declare Jesus to be Lord, there you will see his kingdom. Wherever you declare Jesus to be Lord, you're going to see the kingdom of God. Why? Because you can't have a kingdom without a king. So you're not going to see the kingdom unless you declare him as the king. We just heard from Jeremiah. Jesus says the Messiah will reign as king. But how does that look? How does it look like now? How did it look when Jesus walked on the earth all those years ago? I've got to say Dave made me laugh a little bit today. But there's a serious note there. It's very, very difficult to speak about Jesus as being a king. And therefore, all of you guys being a subject. Okay? You don't get it. In, in the, you've not lived it. Dave said, you know, I have. I've lived it. I love to live it. Um, but you've not lived it. So it's hard for you to necessarily relate to. Because here, you're a citizen. Okay? You've got to say more so in what happens, in what goes on. You vote for your president. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I, I, I enjoy as much as the next person being a citizen of the United States of America. But I grew up as a subject of the Her Majesty the Queen. And they're very different lives to live. Very different. Paul speaks throughout Scripture as being a citizen of heaven. And people misread that because they think that's akin to being a citizen of the United States of America. It isn't. Citizens of Rome still had royalty. Okay? The idea of a citizen was more an identity thing than it was anything else. They still had to give homage to Caesar. So being, being, looking at Jesus as king means accepting that you are a subject. And what does a subject need to do? They need to subject themselves to the king. Because if you're not prepared to subject yourself then what you're really saying is, I don't believe you're a king. Or I don't place myself under your authority as a king. So how does that look now? As you dwell on that. How did it look when Jesus walked the earth? Well, if we jump to uh, John chapter 18, 
the end of John chapter 18, um, 28 through 40, we see Jesus, okay, in front of Pilate at his trial. Okay, I'm not going to read it all for you. Many of you will know it or have a gist of what's going on. But I'm going to summarize that Jesus comes before Pilate and Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? And in the best way that Jesus always did, he answered a question with a question. And they get into it a little bit. And, and Pilate's like, well, I don't know if you're the king of the Jews. I'm not a Jew. He says, I'm, I'm not a Jew. You know, your, your chief priests and your people, they've, they've given you over to me. You tell me, are you a king? And Jesus, in the end, admits to being a king. But not a king as Caesar would expect, not a king, as Pilate thought of a king. He answers the whole thing in verse uh, 36. My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Now, if you've got your Bible open, great. If you haven't and you go home, I really, really, um, I ask you deeply to go and, and look at that verse. Okay? Many different translations, and some are bad translations. Okay? Uh, quite a few translations will say, Jesus said that his kingdom is not of this world. And if, it, if yours says that, I encourage you to scribble it out and to replace it with the translation that I just read. Because Jesus is not saying his kingdom is not of the world. He's saying it is not from the world. And they're very, very, very different. You might think that's not that different, but it really is. Because if Jesus is saying, eh, my kingdom's not of the world, then he's implying it's not now. It's some spiritual kingdom. It's not, it's not now. It's not come from the world. It's not of the world. That's not what he's saying. That's not in line with what he's taught throughout his earthly ministry. If it was, then why would he teach us to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? It's not just, an, it's not just a heavenly thing. It's not just a spiritual thing. It's for now. The point is that Jesus is saying his kingdom is very, very much impacting the present. It's very much impacted the past and it will impact the future. His kingdom has no end. Well, if it's got no end, when was its beginning? Its beginning was before time as we know it. What he's conveying to Pilate is that his kingdom has no earthly origin. That's what he's saying. It didn't start here. It didn't start here. It started before you even you knew of an earth. It doesn't operate in the same way as an earthly kingdom does. Dave gave us some information about king and passing on to heirs. 
Jesus is king. We are called to be co-heirs with him. We don't get to take the crown. We don't get to fight him for the crown. The crown is on his head and that's where it will remain. And wherever we declare him as Lord, we're going to see his kingdom. There's, there's, there may be plenty of opposition coming against him. But he's already, won the he's already won the battle. Whatever that battle is, he has won it. At the end of the day, victory is Christ's. We might find ourselves, you know, mulling over some difficult times. But if we say he is king, if we declare him as king, and if we live into that, we're going to see more of the kingdom right now. The kingdom's not from the world, but it is very much for the world. Because if Jesus wanted to have us here, have a kingdom, the kingdom of God, be like kingdoms with kings in earth if you wanted it to be having rulers over us in, in, in the way that we have here and now in America with a president well do you think he would have done the things he did the way he did them no I don't think he would and Jesus said to Pilate in that closing of the trial he said I came to testify to the truth says, I am a king. I was born for this. And I came to testify to the truth. If we were to think of things the, in the way that many people are today, especially in the last four, three, four years, and it's saddening to see. But Jesus talks against it in Matthew 16. In verse 26, he says, For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? See, the kingdom of God is now, right now. We need to make sure that we don't have any confusion about that. We need to understand what the kingdom of God is, how it's seen, how it's manifested, and what our responsibility in it is. Because across this country, across other parts of the world. That's not being accepted. And by many people who profess faith in Christ, they're actually going against the thing that Christ came to do. Fundamental Christianity, some people call it. This idea to, to um, have nationalism based around the cross. A return to Christendom. Well, Christendom was a very bad idea in the first place. What did Christendom bring us? Christendom brought us the Crusades. Christendom brought us problems after problems of people not actually declaring Jesus as Lord, but using that his, his kingship for their own political gain. That's not the way of Jesus. That's not what Jesus came to do. 
The way of Jesus is to build his church and invite us to be part of it. Not to build a nation, but to build his church. He is the king of kings. We just sang that. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. We just read that. And what does Jesus finish with when he's talking to Pilate? He says, having just said he came to testify to the truth, he says, everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. So if you believe that you belong to the truth, if you believe that you are a subject of the king, then you can hear his voice. And he's calling you to listen to it. And as John saw, and he wrote down in Revelation, Revelation in chapter 1, he tells us how Jesus loves us. He tells us how Jesus has freed us from our sins by his blood and how he has made us part of his kingdom. Okay? He comes to build his kingdom here and his kingdom is represented through the church. Jesus Revelation 8 tells us is the Alpha and the Omega. That's the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He was present at creation. He is present now. And he's going to be present forever. In fact, you know, forever and a day. His kingdom will have no end. The kingdom of God is... It's not from this world. The origin isn't anything to do with inside this world. The kingdom of God's been long, long around. In Daniel, we read about sitting before the ancient one. Well, God's often depicted in art as being a really old guy. Why? Because he's older than the earth. Wherever we declare his son, Wherever we declare Jesus, who is as much God as the Father is. And that's often lost. Wherever we declare him as Lord, we're going to see the kingdom of God. So where is it you need to say that he is Lord right now? What part of your life are you trying to be king? Are you not subjecting yourself? Are you not allowing him to be who he is? to have cosmic control. You might think I've been pretty challenging today, but I've not got to the challenge part yet. <laughs> See, I want to challenge you to further dig in to declaring Jesus as being Lord. Yes, I do. That's the journey of discipleship for all of us, giving more and more of our life to him. what did Jesus say to Pilate? He said, I come to testify to the truth. And those who belong to the truth, listen to my voice. So the challenge is to step into the truth. 
the truth that he is Lord, to declare that he is Lord, to live into that and to see more of his kingdom? Yes. But you've got to listen to his voice if you're part of the truth. Because you can't be part of the truth and not listen to his voice. So if you're not listening to his voice, if you're turning your transistor radio to a different frequency so you can't hear him because there's something else that's more important. Or if there's some interference from the noise of the world, retune to his voice. Retune to what it is that he is saying because if you belong to the truth, you listen to his voice. Not just hear his voice, listen to his voice. And there's another big difference that I don't think I've got time to go into today. What's he saying to you? And if you're listening to him, are you being obedient and treating him as king, therefore subjecting to him and his will for you in your life and not putting your own agenda on things. Not, not deciding that you know better, but sticking to his word and anything that he says to you will be in line with what his word, his written word says. Nothing that he says to you will contradict his written word. There's no new fresh revelation for any of you. Everything will be solidly grounded in what has been written. He might put a fresh take on it for you. He might give a, a personal take on it, freshen it up for you. But it will never, ever go against his written word. That's on what we stand. We're a church that believes this is inerrant. There's no mistake in here. Nothing that God has ever said will contrary this. And if you hear anybody say that, then you can tell them they're not belonging to the truth. Follow in obedience. Step up and step out. Declare him as king and live in his kingdom. Let me pray. Father, we give you thanks so much for your son that he came to earth as we have sang this morning, as we have declared he came to redeem us. He is the king of kings. He is the only one to which we need to look as ruler. He is the only one to, we, to which we need to subject ourselves. And yet, Lord, we all fall short of that. So help us have courage, help us have strength to step in to truly living a life that is subject to the king. Let us be boldly proclaiming that we are okay with that. That being a subject is the best thing that could have ever happened to us. May your spirit, as has been promised, live in us 
as we make our way to living more and more in Christ and being more and more a church on a mission to build the kingdom and declare the king. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.